morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. One's personality. How does one's personality match up to their job? Do you think your personality, who you are, what's innate to you as a human being, matches up to what you do for a living? How important is it? Is it important? Is it to be successful? Is it important for someone to have their interpersonal skills, who they are, match the job they do. How many times do you hear about an attorney? Uh, they go, you know, they get their law degree and then they practice law for a couple years and go, ah, that's not what I really wanted to do, but I just spent the last three years getting this degree and now I'm going to go look for something else that fits me. Difficult questions, a lot of money at stake, money with companies, corporations, hiring or not hiring the right people, families spending money on college for kids when it might not be a fit for them. But what do you do? How do you find those answers? And the gentleman I have coming on today, Dr. Bonsetter, he can help us with this. He's the Senior VP of Research and Development for a company called TTI Success Insights. They're logo or they're saying is making talent I'm sorry matching talent to fit the job now disclosure on this I took their sales test sales and marketing test back in November for a job position that I'm involved with so I'm coming at this from a whole different angle just so my audience knows that doctor welcome to the program Hello, I'm uh, I'm pleased to uh, be able to tackle some of those. Boy, you set out a high standard there. We talked about <laughs> a lot of things in your opening, so I hope we can actually tackle a few of them. I think so. You know, it 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 it's an interesting question, I think, because how many times with that Puritan work ethic that's so ingrained in us, in you know, as Americans, you take a job, you take the best job you can find, which usually means the most high-paying job you can find, and you either adapt to it, meaning force who you are into that position, or you just kind of go around, I guess, hating it. I had a teacher tell me, and it's, I've heard it before, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But let me ask you, how many people do you think actually have that experience right now? Well, I think there's plenty of data out there. Uh, some government agencies even have done some data indicating at least 30 or more percent of people um, do not like the job they're in, and they find it uh, somewhat unbearable, but they do it because it's the only way to make a living. Yeah, basically. It's not a good fit. Yeah, basically. Doctor, what's your background? What do you bring to the table with this? Because the test, and again, I'm going to be honest with my listeners, I've taken this, you know, the sales test, and it pretty much nailed me. I'd say 95%. I was very amazed by that. Well, what is your background? Are you coming from a psychological background? Uh, I think that's an important story to put the context in this because I have a passion for this conversation today that it goes beyond a conversation. It goes beyond uh, just a job. It is my passion. Hmm. And it started many years ago when um, I started working in, in science and I realized that science and, and learning about science was so crucial to me. I ended up uh, preparing. I have, bi- I have degrees in biology, geology, energy engineering, environmental engineering, and science education. So I have a diverse background, but it was all the sciences. So when I took a job uh, at a major university uh, to be the director of secondary science education, 
I came into that a little bit differently. Most of them had a psychology background and an education background where I had a science background, and I was trying to help people understand how learning occurred. Hmm. And so we, we had a different paradigm we were coming from, and along the way, I'll admit to, uh, some background to this, too, because my brother actually was a, a key player in creation. Oh, Doctor, did we lose you? That I've got okay. this assessment that I think would help your students. So I okay, you know, he's my brother, whatever. So I started using that in 1984 with my students, and the first thing I realized, John, was that I had students that did not understand self. Hmm. I had people who were going to prepare to be teachers, and they were children themselves in terms of understanding. And I also realized that nothing at the university did anything to help them better understand self. Nothing. That was scary. Yeah, to say the least, you're sending kids off to college, they're going to take on roles where they're going to be helping and mentoring people, especially as a teacher, but they don't understand who they are at that point. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, to shorten the story, I actually got some national notoriety and ended up having Carl Sagan hand me an award hmm. in Washington for the Outstanding Teacher Preparation Program in the Nation. That resulted in me being able to do uh, a, a talk to the faculty in my institution about what it was I did. And I have to tell you that uh, professors have a number of really good qualities. And I think, actually, this one is not a bad quality. They have a quality, though, to figure out what's wrong with something. Hmm. And so when you present a new idea, they have this, this mindset, let's pick this sucker apart and figure out what's wrong with it. And even though I knew in my heart that this was working and it really did help students better understand self, they pointed out that I didn't have the data to prove it. And that was both an eye-opener and it also redirected my research to where we're going to go today in this conversation because I started to seriously look at the cognitive neurology behind decision-making and the pathways of decision-making and trying desperately to figure out how this stuff seemed to nail you how it worked. Now that, that takes me into another question then, which is what we're going to do here. Um, again, I took the sales and marketing test. My question, I guess, would be, is there a core, a core part of each test? Because I, I know you have tests for different jobs and, and, and more in-depth uh, tests for other situations. At the center of all these tests, is there a core a core set of questions, something that's giving you the direction of insight right from jump. Yes, I would say that uh, we, we look at behaviors and we look at driving forces or motivators. I would say those two together, well, let's throw in a third, uh, comp uh, competencies, soft skills, 21st century skills. You put those three together, we're starting to get a pretty clear image of both the job and, and the fit for a person. But let's start with behaviors. The behaviors is really a, an instrument that is generic, and there are many, many versions of this. I'd like to think that our version actually has some qualities that set it aside from others. But DISC, D-I-S-C, is really one of the, the major players uh, in this discussion. And the DISC breaks down behaviors into four groupings. And so you have dominance, influencing, steadiness and compliance, and you can be on scales between any of those. So you're not one or the other, you're a mixture of all four. 
And so those become, but you do have a dominant that, that comes out in that. Now that becomes the first uh, critical component for matching you to the job. For example, let's say that compliance is your number four. It basically doesn't exist. That means that you don't necessarily like to follow procedures and constraints, and, um, and those are just things that are not part of your life. Well, you apply for a job to be an accountant. <laughs> okay, we got a problem. Because you make up your own rules. And I'm sorry, an accountant has to follow rules. So you start, I, I don't know if that's a good example, but it's one example of a mismatch between a person and a job. And those really are true across the board. So we're able to look at those components. Here's another one, the motivators. The motivators divide you up into a, a number of categories as well, and theoretical is one. Do you love learning, or do you just learn enough to do the job and move forward? Are you instinctive, and you say, yeah, I know enough, I can do it? Well, that, uh, that also it becomes a major factor in a lot of jobs, where lifelong learning in some jobs is crucial, and if you don't like to learn, then we've got a problem. Is that starting to make sense, John? Yeah, it does very much so. And I'm actually looking at uh, my test scores uh, from the test I took back in November, and I'm seeing where you're going with that. It's the important skills, again, the core skills, it sounds like, that will match up an individual with those jobs. Now, that allows, uh, I guess, for secondary traits to come into play. How important are secondary traits compared to that first level of who you are. And the reason I ask, you can have someone match up perfectly in the first three or four or five things that are being counted on as the criteria for what they're looking for right there. But can those secondary traits offset those first rounds? They sure can. They can create a number of uh, issues. You really That's why this, this becomes more complex. We have, uh, in the marketplace, people think they can just, uh, you know, one, one-stop shopping. They think they can look at one trait and give you one number, and that's going to answer the question. Uh, you know, humans are pretty complex, John, and so we need to look at this big picture, and we need to look at all of them as they interplay with each other, and some do offset others, some become conflicts with others. For example... Let's say that you are a high D, which is dominant. Dominant people love challenges. They, like, they have a sense of urgency, and they just like to try new things constantly and, and involve themselves in, in problems. And let's say you're also, your, uh, your secondary is a high C. Well, you see, high Cs like to do everything right, and they like to follow procedures. You have right now a me-me conflict. Forget the job. You've got a problem, an internal problem. You want to do everything, and you want to do it perfect. And that is an issue that you face every day of your life and everything that you encounter when you have that me-me conflict. Now, so, go ahead. I'm go sorry, ahead. doctor. No, no, please go ahead. I want you to finish your thought. Well... I guess my thought is, uh, before we're done today, I would like to address how that particular issue plays out in students, because we have growing evidence to indicate that uh, part of the problem with a group of students in our schools is that me-me conflict between a high D and a high C. And what happens is that we have some of our better students, and our students, uh, our teachers are happy, 
The parents are happy. They seem to be really, really doing well. But inside, they are in such turmoil because they're trying desperately to meet these needs of everyone. They have a sense of of accomplishment because they're doing well in school. But every time they are doing well, they realize there's a trade-off. They want to do all these things in school because there's so many opportunities, and they want to do them perfect. And they are in internal conflict. And that's interesting. That's interesting. That, that can lead to real problems unless it's addressed and brought out in the open, and they can develop strategies. Well, then let's stay with that for a second, because I mean, I wrote out a script as I always do before I, I, I you know, do my show. Nice list of questions, but they're not, you know, drilled into the situation. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. I was thinking as I was sitting at my computer this morning, would this not be a good test to give? a child in elementary school, in middle school, and at some point in high school, geared to who they are as they're maturing. But would this not be a good idea to see where they are at a young age? Uh, I think any time we can start to better understand self, uh, we're, we're head and shoulders ahead of other people. Knowledge is power, John, and we need to empower people with knowledge about self. The science of self is something that really can be learned. And it's not an excuse for behavior, but it's an explanation that does help. Now, in terms of the assessments, our particular assessment, and I think this is true across the board, has a... um uh, an understanding level, or the words are actually at a ninth grade level. So the vocabulary has been cross-referenced, and so we would expect ninth grade comprehension uh, to take place because it's crucial that you understand the word choices when you're trying to take the assessment. Now, that does not mean, though, uh, that you can just uh, wait till ninth grade. It does mean, though, that you put the situation together where a child feels comfortable asking when they don't understand a word, or it's taken much slower where there's actual dialogue that takes place so that they can make some choices based on understanding exactly what's expected in the uh, response. The other approach, frankly, is that at a young age, parents can actually take the assessment for the child as if they were the child, and uh, in that case, I, I, I really prefer two or three individuals to do it on the child, and then they do what's called a 360, which is how do we agree and how do we differ in our interpretation mm-hmm. of those responses. And all of a sudden, you have a profile that can be very, very meaningful for the parent and the child. Interesting. Doctor, we're going to roll into a break here. We come back. i got a lot more questions. We're, we're going in a direction that I like. You're listening to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Bonsetter. He is the Senior VP at TTI Success Insights, and we are talking personalities today. Be right back. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Bonsetter. He is with TTI Success Insights. Doctor, real quick, can you give us your website information? Oh, that would be delightful. Yeah. Uh, I think TTISI.com ought to take care of it. Yeah, we're talking person. At first, I want to say thank you to Dina, Dina Giovelli. She's the one who was able to set this up between us. 
Yeah, that, that was very helpful. You know, there's another website that I might suggest based on the conversation Please. we were having before the break. Please. Uh, because we were talking about education, and actually, we work dominantly, predominantly in business. However, we are very concerned with education, and we want to make a difference in that. And so we actually have a private label that you can go to indigoproject.org, indigo. I-N-D-I-G-O, project.org. And Indigo is really designed for students. And so, uh, you know, because students are in a similar dilemma, not understanding self, and actually they have to make a match, too, with a career or with a job, and that job is being a student. So uh, it's an exact parallel between the business world and the education world. And it's interesting because having watched my oldest daughter, now she's a nurse, very good nurse, as a matter of fact, and she gravitated towards that from middle school on. My youngest daughter, who's in college right now, she's looking at in the healthcare field, but as a speech pathologist. And she just took an online personality test recently. It was kind of interesting, which leads me to a few more questions with you as well. Her personality came back compared to Gandhi and Martin Luther King, which... Yeah, again, it was one of those cheap ones you would take online, and I'm still trying to come to grips with how that works with her. My question is, what makes your tests that much more potent? I've taken a lot of personality tests. I've taken them for the military. I've taken them for the police state, you know, for, to almost become a cop. I've, I've taken a lot of these. Now, again, the one I took in November with your company, was 95% on. That's why I wanted to do this interview. Again, what makes the difference between yours being so much more on the market appears? Uh, I would say that most of the assessments out there are pretty good at describing the what and the how for a person. And that's what the, the, the customer sees. That's what the participant sees. But behind the scenes... Uh, we have a massive research agenda that explains why it's working. For example, I said that uh, my research is in cognitive neurology. We actually understand why you're answering the way you are. For example, when you took the behavior assessment, one of the things you had to do was you had to take uh, four words, four separate sets of words, and you had to rank them as to how they affected you. Uh, which one did you agree most with? Which one did you agree less, least with? Within each of those cells, you made a decision. And I can tell you that what we do in uh, TTISI is that we actually run our research on people behind the scenes, and we have people take the assessment like you did, then we bring them in and, and we run a sample of people through my brain lab, and we do real-time brain imaging using EEG to determine pathways of decision-making. Hmm. To summarize that very quickly, I'm able to match what you put as number one 84% of the time just by looking at your brain. However, what's exciting for me is that what you say is number four, I can match virtually 100% of the time. Now, here's what that means about our assessments. It means that we truly understand why you're answering the way you, what you do. When you, give, when you tell me you're not something, I know you're telling me right on. You're, you're giving me a, a feeling and an emotion and a response that is dead right. And we can take that information and make better assessments as a result of knowing that. 
Uh, the analogy I like is if you went out to a brand new restaurant tonight and looked at the menu, the first thing you do, whether you realize it or not, is you dismiss everything you won't eat on that menu. Interesting. Then your number one choice becomes an issue. Now, which of these three things do I really want tonight? But you know what you won't eat. So that's process of elimination right off the bat. You're, that's you're, correct. And that helps you because then what that person will focus in on as being number one, they've actually thought about is what you're saying. That's correct. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, yes and no. Okay. Um, because here's another bit of information that we're aware of that uh, drives our assessments and makes them better. We are fully cognizant of the fact that emotion drives about 95% of our final decisions. In other words, I'm actually looking at your brain response at two hundredths of a second. I'm, okay, I'm looking at your brain response to an answer to a question before you can have a cognitive thought. Your cognition takes about a thirtieth of a second. So I'm actually looking at your brain response to a new stimuli before you've even thought about it. And I know that the end result, about 95% of the time, will be your final decision. Because what happens, whether we want to admit it or not, is that most of our thought about a concept is rationalization and justification of what we've already decided emotionally. Our emotions really drive things. In fact, I'll make a bold statement. There really is no decision that does not have an emotional component. That's how the brain works. We start with the emotional response. The reptilian brain is really telling us how we're going to respond to this stimuli, and then we think about it. Even with jobs, uh, going back, you know, into the job situation again, even with jobs that appear to require very little emotional output from the individual, someone who might be sitting in a nuclear silo and their job and they're trained repetitively over and over again, if this should ever happen, God forbid, they're like a machine, they're going to go through the process, boom, they're going to let the missile launch. So even, oh, okay. go ahead, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I would say that knowing this, again, is power. If you know that there's a knee-jerk reaction that occurs in decision-making, now you're empowered to go, well, I better rethink this. Yes, that's how I feel about it. Yes, that's how I've justified it. Yes, that's how I uh, have rationalized it. But now I have the, the ability to rethink this. And so I, I think all of us need to realize that we have... Knee-jerk reactions, which I'm sorry, we could replace that with the word beliefs. Okay. And we have to then question our beliefs and make sure those beliefs really do hold water. Now, and in the case of the guy in the, in the silo, yeah. Yeah, if, if he's been trained and this is what he's supposed to do and he thinks about it, and this is the answer that has to occur. Now, the tests you have, they're test-specific to, you know, to different jobs, different um, industries, Correct. Well, the assessments are pretty similar, but we have benchmarked both the jobs, and then we benchmark you and look for a gap report or how, how the fit occurs between the two. Uh, and, and that becomes crucial, that we actually are able to show how you really exist, and then we look at how the fit occurs between the, you and a job. That's interesting. The, it, it is, because I'm still looking at my test results here, so it's kind of, again, fascinating in how this all goes around. If you had to say, in today's 
world, today's modern world, and where we're heading forward. What are the three most important traits an individual should have going into the workforce? Uh, Number one, we are changing so quickly a sense of wanting to know and on on your motivators, wanting a theoretical, having a little theoretical, wanting to know new things and being able to embrace new things mm-hmm. uh, becomes crucial. Uh, then, but you see, that's on the motivators. Then I would move to that third assessment, and I would say that in terms of a soft skill, self-motivation and self-determination becomes crucial so that you don't spend your life blaming others for everything that uh, occurs to you, but that you actually have a, a sense of self-control and that you can take control of scenarios. Those are two of the three for sure. Uh, the third, um, wow, the third then becomes a little more difficult depending on the situation. I might put team playing and being able to actually collaborate as a third component because it's becoming more and more important. Virtually nothing occurs in isolation anymore. We really do have to work as groups of people on almost any issue. Let's jump in interpersonal skills then, you know, where one can interact with another human being, communication skills. Uh, and with, with what I do, obviously, here on the radio and what I do in my real life with my real work requires good, strong, direct communication skills. Is that something that would rank high up on the list of just about every job, being able to, to communicate effectively to other people? Well, I would not. It probably will not be on the bottom. I'd say that, but it does rank higher in some scenarios than others. Uh, computer programming, for example. No, no, we really don't want an individual that has a yearning, and their primary strength is communication uh, and uh, interpersonal uh, relations. Uh, most programmers have to work on issues in isolation for a period of time to really work on the solution. Uh, that's another brain bit of information we throw out here is that multitasking is a misnomer. We can switch tasks, but we can't multitask. So I don't want a programmer interacting with people all day and then trying to also program. Doctor, we're going to take our second break here. Come back. i got, again, a lot more questions lined up. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Bonsetter. He is with TTI Success Insights, and we're talking personalities. Be right back. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Bonsetter. He is with TTI Success Insights. They match talent to fit the job, and that is becoming more and more important as we move forward in our careers. Doctor, how many more companies are you seeing more and more companies uh, uh, looking for something like this, a test before they hire someone, or even a test after they have people within the company there just looking to make sure the fit is what they're looking for. Absolutely. Companies are starting to realize, well, talent is becoming more and more difficult to find, first of all. 
And so they're recognizing that they have to use some other criterion to figure out who's the, the right person to, to hire. Retention is a major issue. Companies are finally acknowledging that when they lose someone, they lose not only knowledge, it, it costs them real dollars to replace someone and to get them back up to speed. And, um, and so retention is an issue. We want to get people in the right job. You know, I'm trying to think of a, of a brief statement that clarified this. A career is what you're paid for. A passion is what you're made for. Mm. And I think our goal is to make those one and the same so that we can really put people in a job that they feel rewarded and passionate about and that it fits. And when it fits, life is good, and you're there for the, the haul, the long haul. What we have right now are uh, we've got a swinging door with people going in and out constantly because of a mismatch. So retention's an issue, price is an issue. Um, and we have people in businesses that are mismatched within the business. Uh, Peter principle is very true. Just moving somebody up because of longevity doesn't necessarily mean it's a good fit. We have to do a better job of analyzing our existing job force and making sure that they're in the right job. Uh, can I give you one example? Please, please. We had a major corporation, uh, a fortune 100 company that came to us with one division that they wanted us to look at just the employees that were there. And they wanted to increase their sales force, but they didn't want to necessarily hire from the outside. They wanted to know if we could hire from the inside. Interesting. So we went ahead and analyzed that uh, that division, and we came up with one individual that looked like he was an awesome salesman. He fit the profile so beautifully. So uh, we then followed up and gave that uh, those names to the company, and the story unfolds like this. This gentleman, 20 years ago, needed a job. The only job available was in the shipping department. He took the job in shipping because he needed a job. And so for 20 years, he'd been sitting down in shipping. We suggested that he had all the qualities to be a top-line um, salesperson, outside sales. They took our suggestion and interviewed him and moved him into a sales position. And in three quarters, it took him three quarters, he became the top salesman in that division. Hmm. Here's what was going on. He had all the right qualities. He had spent 20 years learning all of the products because he had to ship them all the time. <laughs> but he, he never got to tell anybody. He never got to use his skills that he had. We need to get people with skills in the right jobs. So it sounds to me, besides just going with new hirees, uh, companies should be looking at what they already have as far as homegrown talent goes. Uh, somebody who is geared as a pitcher on a Major League Baseball team in the minor league system might be better off as an outfielder just because their skills fit that mold. It sounds like here... Again, companies should be taking a deeper look at the talent base they already have. Are you seeing that as a trend? I, I do see it as a trend. And I would say 20 years ago, HR were in competition with us because HR had their own ideas about how to hire and fire. Right now, HR are our partners, and they really want to do a better job, and we want to help them do a better job. And that's exciting. How important is being able to fit the bill, so to speak, to be able to fit what's being asked, what's wanted, compared to education. Can, can you fit the bill but not have the exact education that's being called out? 
yes and no. Yes, if uh, if the job uh, will allow you the time to learn the skills, and if you have the soft skills that allow you to uh, to embrace continuous learning and to move into those realms. Um, it's a hard call whether you hire toward hard skills or you hire towards soft skills. I would say it's a blending, which we've never had. We really, most of the time, we hire based on hard skills, and we fire because of soft skills. Hmm. Let's, let's do both. It's not an either-or. Interesting. So you have to kind of, it, it still is a balancing act. It really is. Uh, no one's suggesting here. In fact, I would say if you forced me, I'd say about what, what we do represents about 20 to 30 percent, 30 percent of the hiring process, not 100 percent. Well, interesting. So it's a whole, it's again, that whole balancing act. Now, let me throw something out at you uh, as far as people's traits in, in certain situations. Now, you know, is it better to practice what you're great at, or is it better to practice consistently what your weak points are? If you had to throw that in there, because there's there's a school of thought that you know, go back to Wayne Gretzky in hockey. He's a goal scorer. You really don't need him practicing defense, but it, it would be nice if he can contribute a little bit. How would you view yeah. that? Many years ago, Peter Senge. Um, gave me an analogy that I love, and he said, imagine that the, the job has some requirements and you have some abilities, and those represent uh, your hands separated from each other with a rubber band between them. And that rubber band is, needs a little bit of tension, a little bit of tension. So you're pushed to have some opportunities to grow. But if you have too much tension between the expectations and your abilities, you break the rubber band. We, we can get people to grow in a position, but when we throw them to the wolves and they have expectations that exceed their abilities and we work only on their weaknesses and not acknowledge their strengths, you have created stress that uh, humanly results in problems not only in the workplace but in their lived lives. So, in essence, positive feedback for what one is good at is very important to help them to continue to want to learn and grow and take those weaknesses, so to speak, and make them pluses. Yes, we like to think about each of us being unique, and we have unique qualities. Uh, we're not good. We're not bad. We're unique, and we want to capitalize on that uniqueness and do a better job of fitting you uh, to the job and also getting you empowered with knowledge of both your strengths and your weakness so when it's necessary, you can adapt, and we can all adapt at least for short periods of time. If the adaptations are too extreme, then that becomes an issue. But at least you would understand where it's coming from. And rather than having these gut-level feelings that you carry home every night um, and can't really put vocabulary to them. And, and that goes into, again, I want to jump back into what we talked about with secondary traits. And you kind of just did that for me. Again, you can look at someone, if I'm an HR person, a hiring manager, and I see they have the top five things I'm looking for and they're there they're they're in the they're in the great zone I'm looking for it but those secondary traits as an individual 
can those secondary traits almost be kind of a subconscious to where, you know, yeah, I'm skilled at this, but it's not my passion. It looks like it is, but it's not. Can people get fooled or fool themselves into believing there's something that they're not? Yeah, they can fool themselves, and more importantly, others are fooled even more readily than they are. And that's where having this really laid out and you can start talking about it becomes crucial. Mm. Mm. It's not that they can't be developed. We, we are convinced that, well, the brain is very, very plastic. We, we can modify things with effort. We just have to decide how much effort is required and whether how important that effort would be. Interesting. Outside variables. Uh, say someone has ADHD or they're dealing with depression or some sort of mental illness. I assume that can throw off the test to some degree? Yeah, I, 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 um, I can recall early on when we were working with this that we really do sort of make the statement that what we're talking about today, John, is really intended to be uh, applied to normal people. Okay. And anomalies occur in any setting, and there are anomalies that alter this uh, drastically in some of those you, you've mentioned. But I can also tell you that the things you just mentioned will show up in our assessments as well. Depression shows up. We can see signs of depression. We can see signs of stress. So, so you're, again, you're combining the science with almost the emotional aspects of a human being and who they are and the traits that they carry. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean to me, that's fascinating how far... We have come with science to bring it together with emotions and being able to show those emotions. Can, can someone, if, they, if they're trying, really trying, can they alter the test? What they, or, or is the test designed, I assume it is designed, to where the questions are repetitive enough, what they do, how they're asked, that who you are is going to come out really no matter what? Oh, I wouldn't say no matter what. I think uh, you can alter the test, but what people fail to recognize is what's going on behind the scenes. In other words, there are multiple questions related to the same concept. And so we're looking for internal validity and reliability as well as external. And so this starts showing up. In some cases, you'll actually get a flag during the assessment that says, uh, are you being interrupted during this? Are you uh, actually concentrating enough? Because there's an inconsistency showing up in your responses that you need to focus and uh, eliminate outside influences. So we're, we're warning people that they're not, uh, not taking the test in an, prop, an appropriate setting. In addition, um, we also collect data on how much time you take for every decision and, and the, the pathway for those decisions. Do you choose number four before you choose number one? Do you choose number two before number three? We actually record all of that data and the time between decisions so that we can start looking at correlations between different personality types. Massive behind-the-scene data. Now, that's interesting. It said, you know, you, I remember taking the test. It said you had a certain amount of time, but don't worry about time. And I had a feeling I was being timed anyway <laughs> as well, I took the test. It's not that you're being timed, but we're collecting data. Remember, uh, our strength is that we know why and not just how and what. So we're constantly collecting data to try to figure out, are there patterns here that help us do a better job? Interesting. Doctor, we're going to take our final break. Then we're going to come back again and 
Uh, I'm going to go a little bit into some of the parts of the test I have. I brought my test with me, and I want to get the people to understand some of the questions and so forth. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Dr. Bonsetter is my guest today, and he is from TTI Success Insights. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Bonsetter. He is with TTI Success Insights. He's the Senior VP of Research and Development. Their motto, matching talent to fit the job, and how important that is to, in today's workforce. Doctor, let me go a little bit into the test itself, and I'm not going to get too personal with myself on this, but a couple questions here. The development indicator. That uh, 25 personality traits, they're ranked well-developed, developed, moderately developed, and needs development. I think it's self-explanatory what it's saying to me, but what else is it really saying? Are these skills matched to the job? Am I in trouble if, I'm not, if I have four that aren't developed? How should one look at this? Well, what you've just shared with me is a description of you, uh, and it's not necessarily matched to any job at this point. That's where then you would actually look at a job and the ranking of those 25 and see how you compare. Out of that list that you uh, shared with me, uh, it's interesting. Um, I think the top and bottom become very important, and discussions have to occur with the middle. Now, you know what you have. And there's an assumption that you can move that middle level up into the top range. I don't disagree with that, provided there's a real internal conversation that occurs. Hmm. Because when we do the brain analysis, what we find is that the top five to seven, I can do a beautiful match between the top five and seven matches about what you just said and what the list you just gave and the brain. Hmm. Then I get the next 11 or so that are mixed. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. The bottom is even more interesting because the emotional load on those at the bottom is almost non-existent. What we're talking about here, John, is that this list of personal skills or competencies is driven by experience. You have had some experiences that make you feel very comfortable in naming those top five or so that you possess, that you've mastered. Mm. You have had a mixed experience with the next group, and the bottom, exp- the bottom list, you may have had very limited experience in doing. Therefore, they're the bottom. Now, when it comes to changing and growing some skills, you assume that you could take some in the middle and move them up but only with a dialogue with you. There's an extra missing phase. We have to figure out what experience you've had with that. Let me give you an example. Let's say leadership is number 12. And when I did the brain scan, which we only do for research purposes, by the way, okay. so we understand what's going on for you. But when I see that leadership at 12 and uh, someone says, well, we're going to move you into a leadership role, uh, so we're going to give you some leadership training experiences because it's in the, uh, in the moderate range, and we're going to move that up. I'm sorry, you missed a step. You better figure out why it's 12. Let's talk about what leadership experiences you've had because what I'm seeing in the brain scans is some of those middle have a flare, a negative avoidance flare, an emotional avoidance. You see, you may have had some experiences that are not all that good, 
And if we don't lay those on the table and deal with them, I can't develop you. I almost would be better off in taking one of them at the bottom that you have no experiences with. Therefore, you have no baggage yeah. and moving it up. Very interesting because, and I'll, I'll get a little personal now then. Um, the top 13 for me are well-developed. From 14 to 21, they're developed. The bottom four are moderately developed. And the bottom four, I can honestly say, would, being honest with myself, would fall into that category. That okay. there's something I need to work with. I mean, I've, I found it, I was kind of proud of myself that I was at least developed uh, for, for the top 21. I thought that was impressive for myself. Tell me what you think there, man. Well, absolutely. Uh, you, you have multiple skills, and we do find that people that have that range of skills have a lot of potential. Uh, some of our recruiters, our headhunters, will tell me that they want to see a profile like yours uh, when they're doing headhunting. They want, they want people to at least acknowledge and have that 20 to 21 range. 19, actually. They want 19 or above. Um, but I'd also say we're making an assumption in this conversation that the, all these skills are important. That's simply not true. When we work in our lived lives, there are certain skills that are crucial, and there are certain skills that, if you possess, can actually get in the way of your job. Hmm. So don't, don't think that having all the skills is good. Sometimes having the skill and not having an opportunity to express that skill is a major handicap. I can, it, it, it's a conflict within the self, then. It's a conflict with self, but more importantly, it's a conflict with the job. Yeah. All right? Uh, people skills. Uh, let's say that uh, 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 teamwork. Let's say teamwork is, is number one or number two. And you're in a job where you're not supposed to be part of a team. You're supposed to just work on something in isolation and come with the information. And yet you're constantly walking the building and talking to people and sharing everything because your strength is teamwork and you want to use it. Interesting. Then let's, let's jump now to motivators, you know, the feed motivation. What motivates a person? And, and I'll going to jump in a little bit here. Uh, for me, number one was uh, indi um, individualistic, political. Number two was uh, unitarian economic, and number three was social. Again, things I'm proud of, but is this, are these unusual things? I mean, how do these fit into the realm of what someone's looking for? <laughs> I know, it's a loaded question. I'm sorry. No, no, here's, here's what I'd say. Okay, let's put you in a job interview right now. And um, we just hired someone recently to come in and work under me. All right? Okay. And you just gave me a quality that I would question right now. Because we're coming up and defining a brand new job, and I want this person to work with me, but I don't necessarily want them to be in conflict with my vision right now. But you see, your number one was... Individualistic. Individualistic. Yeah. You want power and control. You want to control your own destiny. You like recognition. You like the opportunity to be your own person and stand out in a crowd. Right now, I don't want that person to stand out. I want them to do what I want them to do. Makes sense. So that's, again, a way of breaking down 
this situation even deeper. That's correct. Because within American society, a lot of times we value someone with that individualistic way about themselves. Uh, it's kind of our, our background, our heritage. This breaks it down even more then. So that's fascinating right there. Just having that as number one would be something you would go, eh, maybe not. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I can carry this just one step further real Please. quickly. Please. If you, if you acknowledge, first of all, that was either that was a deficit model we've been talking about. You either are individualistic or you're not. Okay. Our brain work has told us, our brain scanning has told us that this is a continuum with two ends. Instead of individualistic being either good or bad, present or absent, now think of it in terms of a new name called power, and on one end of power is commanding, the other end of power is collaborative. All right? Okay. The person I'm hired, I really want to be a high collaborative. I need their input. I don't want them taking over, but I need them to be a team player. It's not either or. It's this continuum with both ends being good depending on the fit to the job. Huh. Again, I like how that breaks down. And then you're looking at the economic aspects of a person. I guess that's very important to know how money would drive them. I guess if it's extremely high and the person's a stockbroker, it could almost cause a conflict of what they might do with their clientele, correct? That's another problem, yes, because reward, how do, what, what, what rewards them at the end of the day? Recognition, power, money, things. Yeah, you need to know that. And by the way, hmm. we have people that just give people raises and give them money and jobs failing to recognize that that's not their driving force, that they're, they don't care about money. They want to make a difference. And so they're giving them the wrong reward. Hmm. Um, behavioral feedback. How would that affect what you, know, what you might be looking for right now? I have a frequent interaction with others. It's what I do. It's what I do for a living with everything that I do. I do have a competitiveness to me, and I am people-oriented. But i got to be honest, at the end of the day, I really don't want to be around people. So how does yeah. that, I mean, I mean, does that make me something unusual? Not at all. Uh, I think any, anything, even if this is your driving force, too much of anything, you know, that we, we burn out on. Uh, at the same time, uh, <laughs> I think that's a scenario that many of us could identify. We come home from work, and our spouse has an expectation of an interaction that uh, we just fulfilled at work, and we're done. <laughs> so the sting and gang of trying to figure out. But you see, that's the conversation you have to have with your significant other. Okay, I love people, but I've just been with people all day. I'm pretty much done with that. I need some quiet time. So this could be, I mean, have, has your company developed anything related to relationships as far as taking personality tests and, and maybe kind of showing them how they would fit within one's job? Yes. Uh, we have a comparison report that, first of all, looks at just two individuals and how they match and where potential conflict could occur between two individuals, and that becomes crucial. We also have team reports that will look at your whole team so that you can see whether you have all the parts that are necessary. You see, a team has to have diversity. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned I had biology degrees, mm -hmm. you know, and, and diversity breeds stability. 
That's a beautiful statement from biology. When you have a monoculture, when you have everybody with similar qualities, which happens many times because bosses tend to hire people that look just like them, you fail to recognize that you do not have the team that can get the work done. Because you don't have the diversity. That's correct. That's correct. And people gravitate towards people they feel comfortable with. It's I'm just hum- so. it's just human nature. So what you're setting up for a hiring team or a manager, really, you're asking them to look outside the box. And, we're, and we're, yeah, yeah, and and, and their biases. We have to deal with the fact that every one of us have biases. Let's expose them, and let's see if we can come up with a process that helps eliminate bias. Interesting, very interesting, Doctor. Please, real quick, because the show's coming up to the end here. Give your website information for both websites, please. Yeah, TTISI.com would would get uh, uh, a contact for our major corporation. And then because we spoke briefly about about education uh, in particular, I think that indigoproject.org, people would find interesting if they have students or if they have individuals that uh, are struggling with educational decisions. I can definitely go in more directions with this. Doctor, would you be open to coming back on in the future? I feel like we've only touched the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg on this, and I think there's so many other exciting topics that could be uh, developed. Uh, I would be honored. Doctor, I appreciate that because I feel the same way. I went through my list very quickly, but just just now as we're ending the show, uh, it opened up to me how this test, how what you're doing doesn't just affect the person taking the test. It's how it affects the company, the individuals that are hiring the people. There's whole so many layers involved. Yes, there are. And and that's I what I the opportunity. Yeah, great. Doctor, I appreciate it. You have a nice weekend. Please tell Dina again I said thank you. You've been listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today my guest was Dr. Bonsetter from TTI Success Insights. I'll be back again next week.